Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for getting us all up, getting us all together. We thank you, Father, that because of the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, whoever believes in your Son will never perish but have eternal life. And you have given every believer in Christ the amazing gift beyond that of having the Holy Spirit indwell our hearts. And you have provided the complete scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, for us to be able to learn so that we may come to know more about you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we aim to do that today, Father. We also ask, Father, that you would bless us in our celebration of the Lord's Supper at the end. And please take care of every member of our congregation. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If everybody could please rise, we will. You've got to reshare your screen. Okay. I didn't do anything. <laughs> as long as there it goes, we're good. All right, let's all stand and sing a song. Then. All right, as I mentioned in the prayer this morning, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper today, contrary to any rumors you may have heard from me last night. Um, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Also, a schedule note. We'll continue to have service here at Camp Consulting until we let you know otherwise. We're still working on the building, a new building, and so rather than me continuing to predict wrong when that's going to be done, <laughs> I'm just going to say we're going to be here until we let you know we're going to be there. Okay. Oh, by the way, please keep praying that everything will be accomplished and what we need in order to begin services very soon in our new space. Okay, let's begin. Please turn in your Bibles now to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, starting in verse 12. John, chapter 14, verse 12. The title of today's message, for those of you that are keeping track, is Whatever You Ask in My Name. Whatever You Ask in My Name. Look at John, chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another counselor of the same kind as I am, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. As we saw last time we gathered together, this is a power packed passage. These six verses deal with 14, I mean, four very important things, just in six verses alone. Mentioned these to you before. Let's look at them again this morning. The first one is in verse 12, and that is the greater works. Greater works than these, Jesus said, you will accomplish because I go to the Father. The second one is what we'll be looking at this morning, answered prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will give you. We'll see what that's all about. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does he mean by that expression? What does it mean to have our prayers answered? What does it mean that we pray in Jesus' name? 
Next, the third thing is loving Christ, how to love Christ. And he's very simple about that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, that's next week, and that's verse 15. And then finally, the fourth thing in these six verses is, of course, the Holy Spirit, another counselor, God the Holy Spirit. That's in verses 16 through 17. Last time, we probed the meaning of verse 12. Let me read it to you again this morning. I know you're there. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, remember that the one condition, all right, for doing the works that he does and greater than these is believing in Christ. In other words, verse 12 talks about all believers. That's important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. We saw that that the expression greater works than these does not refer to miracles because the principle is that the greatness of a work is not how supernatural it is, but rather the purpose for which it has been done. And then we saw that the purpose here is to give glory to the Father. And we have great assets to be able to do that because Jesus went to the Father. And he's seated at the right hand, remember? That means he advocates for us. And when he came and sat at the right hand of the Father, the Father sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And because of that also, we can do greater works than he, not miracles, but the ability to preach the gospel to everybody in the world. This morning, we now move to the second big deal in our passage, and that's verses 13 and 14, the subject of answered prayer. I will read the passage again. John chapter 14, verse 13. Of course, now he is speaking throughout this whole chapter. And actually, this chapter and the next two, he's speaking to his closest disciples, those that will become the apostles, the 11. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 12 talks about these greater works. Verses 13 through 14 explain how the great works in verse 12 will come to pass by means of prayer. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I I do. So that the father purpose may be glorified in the son. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the father may be glorified in the son. That's a unit that all goes together. You can't separate one from the other. You can't say whatever I ask, God's going to give me. That's not at all what this says. Right. Whatever you ask, what in my name that I will do so that purpose, the father may be glorified in the son. That's how the great works of verse 12 come to pass. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will what? I do. I do it. Okay, what does that mean? Jesus does these greater works. We saw that last time. He does it, but through us. So his works continue, even though he's at the right hand of the Father only now, believers in Christ as his body are the way, the means with which Jesus accomplishes these works. Jesus will do these greater works through believers. I want you to also note carefully, okay, because this is going to form the basis for our understanding of what he's saying here. And that is 
that the purpose of the of the prayer now, the prayer in Jesus' name, has to be that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, when you when we say asking something in His name, it means that whatever we're asking will glorify the Father in the Son. Okay, so that's quite different from saying I want a Cadillac, <laughs> right? It is in his name, and it, we're going to see that that expression in his name is really important to understand. And how it is that we come to do that, to be able to ask in his name. And then the purpose again. We've seen this purpose is the purpose from in verse 12 of the works, the greater works. It's the purpose of how what, what we ask for in Jesus' name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus came so that his father may be glorified. Jesus is in heaven, but his works continue through us. And now we ask things in the name of Jesus so that that same purpose may come about, that the father might be glorified in the son. And then he repeats himself. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then, of course, in addition to the fact that Jesus will do the works, in addition to the purpose that the father may be glorified in the son, Now we get to the means. What are the means by which this will happen? And and as we see, prayer, prayer, prayer is fundamental. I mean, prayer is a great, great privilege that we have. And when we talk about greater works than these, we have to also realize that 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 is through prayer as well as faith. Okay, and that prayer in Jesus name is the means by which the father is glorified in the son. But that brings to mind an important key question this morning. And sure, it's a question that a lot of you may have as we read the passage. It's certainly a question that a lot of people who read this passage, either they ignore or they have to stop and wonder. And it's very simple. What does it mean to ask for something in Jesus name? What does that mean? You know, some people treat it as kind of magic incantation. If I say in Jesus name, I will get it right. Kind of the, the name it and claim it mentality. As long as I ask in Jesus' name, he has to give me what I want. Others, and this is probably where some of us, I know I have, um, fall into the misunderstanding. And that is that it's a prescribed prayer format. That it must be tacked on to the end of every prayer or else that prayer won't be heard or granted. That's nonsense, too. That's not at all what Jesus means by in my name. So to begin, we need to look again that Jesus continues to do his works. And when he was here in this gospel, it's recorded that he spoke about his father's name. In other words, we want to understand what it means to pray and ask in Jesus name. But first, we have to look to him and the fact that he asked in his father's name that what he did He did in his father's name. And so he takes the precedence, as it were. He's the example. He's the forerunner of what we are to do in prayer. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5, verse 43. John chapter 5, verse 43. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give you so that the father may be glorified in the son. But what does it mean to ask in Jesus name? John 5:43 I this is Jesus speaking now to his enemies I have come in my father's name I have come 
the reason I'm here on earth is I've come in the name of my father. We're going to, this is going to help us, by the way, understand the expression. What does it mean to, to do something or ask something in the name of somebody? Okay. It's not a magical spell. It is not something that we have to put at the end of every prayer. There's deep, deep meaning here that we need to come to understand in order to for our prayer life to reflect what Jesus is saying here. So in verse 43 of chapter 5, Jesus himself says, look, I've come in my father's name. And yet you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now, in context, it's talking about the fact that he is coming and he's not doing his own will. He is coming in every word that he says he's received from his father. And he's contrasting that here with other false apostles, false teachers who come in their own name. In other words, they, 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 they say what they want to say. They make themselves the issue. And for whatever reason, human beings are, gravitate to that. And, and, and Jesus, because of his humility, his understanding of his mission, the fact that he would be saying some very unpopular things, opposite things to what the people wanted him to say, he was rejected. But the point here is this, that Jesus came in his father's name. Now, as I go through this with Jesus, I want you to also be keeping in mind what the question is this morning. The question is, how? what does it mean to ask for something in Jesus' name? But we're looking at the relationship between Jesus and his father's name so that we can learn what it means. Okay, Jesus came in his father's name. He was sent. He was in heaven. The word became flesh, and he came in his father's name. That's what verse 43 says. In other passages, he said that he does everything he does. He does his works in his father's name. What did that mean? It meant that everything that he did, he did under the authority of the father, under the endorsement of the father, being of one mind with the father. In fact, he would even say in chapter 10, I and the Father are one. That's what it meant to come in his Father's name, to do his the works, his works in his Father's name. And one more thing, he also prayed at the, to the Father himself, of course, that the Father's name might be glorified. So I hope you can see that it's a clear parallel to what we're seeing in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, in the sense that our prayer in Jesus' name is also to be something that by which the prayer God will be glorified in the son. So in other words, Jesus is the perfect precedent for what it means for us to pray in Jesus name. I'd like you to just turn now to John chapter 12, verse 27. This is terrain that we've already walked through and now we're just going to bring it to bear on what we're studying this morning. And I've mentioned this many times, but If you have learned a passage in the Gospel of John, let's say this one, and you've learned it in isolation, meaning we're we're looking at the doctrine of prayer this morning, and we're going to take this verse, and then we're going to take other verses about prayer. And that's great. You should do that. But what you should not fail to do is also to put it in the context. You see, the great blessing that we have, having studied the Gospel of John from chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to continue all the way through to the end. The great blessing of that is that is that what we've already learned builds on is the foundation for what we're now going to learn, right? So in other words, when we come and we read in the in Jesus name, 
we can draw on everything that's come before. You know, things like that we've already seen this morning, the relationship between Jesus and his father, how, how he had to bring the disciples along, how they were still struggling with even some of the basics of who Jesus is. Okay. Look at John chapter 12, verse 27. Now, my this is Jesus now. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's troubled because he knows what comes next. He knows what it's going to mean next for him to fulfill the will of the father, the next work that he's going to do in his father's name. And it is, of course, the greatest work he ever did, which was go to the cross and die for our sins. My soul has become troubled. He's human. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. If he had prayed that prayer, he wouldn't have glorified the father if that prayer had been answered. Right. He wouldn't have glorified the father. But that's not what he prayed. He says, shall I pray that father save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour purpose. There should be a purpose behind prayer. Verse 28, and it, should, by the way, should be the right purpose, right? What was Jesus' purpose here? Verse 28, Father, glorify what? Your name. Can you see that Jesus is talking about the name of the Father? And, and he's, just, he's, he's talking about something we beyond even the, the literal name, which is amazing, right? Elohim, Yahweh, okay? But even beyond that, he's talking about who the Father is. Why the father has sent the son. What does God say when he talks about himself being glorified? Then a voice, continuing in verse 28, then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In, in, in larger measure, everything in the Bible has to do with glorifying the father in the son. And so, so, so the father had glorified his name many times by the time Jesus came, right? He glorified it so many times when he delivered the nation of Israel from danger. When he when Moses, we saw this, when Moses asked to see his glory, he said, my glory is that I may have mercy on whom I may have mercy. And there was never a point where God had more mercy on the human race than when he allowed his son to die. I am both glorify it and I will glorify it again. The point of all this for our study this morning is that Jesus, in terms of his honoring his father's name, set the precedence for us who ought to pray in Jesus name. So as the but as the father sent the son, he said, I've come because my father sent me now here in John chapter 12, chapter 14 forward. Jesus is about to turn and send out his disciples. I want you to see a passage in John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. And again, this will this will all this should all help us to understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Look at John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, them being the apostles and others, the disciples gathered again, that same place, the upper room. And now Jesus is risen and he appeared to them miraculously. And he says, what peace be with you 
as the Father has sent me, he sent me to glorify his name, I also send you. Now we see the handoff between how Jesus set the precedent for asking and doing things in his Father's name. Now he gives us and sends us out on a mission, and we are to ask for things in his name. The purpose, remember, though, never changes, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Look at John. Let's go back to our passage this morning. John chapter 14, verse 13. I hope you can see already that what Jesus means by asking in his name is quite different from what most people in the church think. That when it, when he says to glorify the father in the son, we need to step back and ask, how did Jesus glorify the father to the max? And the answer is he went to the cross and suffered. Hmm. I hope that may give you a new understanding of what it means to ask for something in Jesus' name. It's that the Father may be glorified. Not that you get what you want. Those are two, not always, but those are often different things. You know, we say Jesus said that will be done when his human will was probably not to have to suffer. Remember, he's human as well as God. No human being, almost no human being wants to suffer I, for its own. I just want to be in pain today. I mean, there are there are some very sick individuals, unfortunately, that that's true about. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about the, the broad, the, the healthy, normal human beings, right? Don't want to suffer. But Jesus, of course, said, no, you know what? Not what I want, but what you want. And very often what God wants is really different from what we want until. And we're going to plant that in your head now until what? Until something happens. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, the purpose has remained the same. That the Father may be glorified. Only now he adds in the Son. Why does he say that? Because we're coming now in the name of the Son. And therefore, what we ask for is that the Father may be glorified through our prayers in the son and as we represent in a sense we are the body and jesus is the head and so what what we're doing and asking for now we're doing as a member of the body of christ one who has been saved by grace one who comes to understand what redemption is all about redemption in the blood of christ so that the father may be glorified in the son so let's now start to answer the question, what does it mean to ask for something in Jesus' name? Well, to ask for something in Jesus' name, right here in verse 13, to ask for something in Jesus' name is to ask for something that will glorify the Father in the Son. I want to stop here, and I want you to think about your prayer life. You see, you can see this in context, and yeah, that's obvious, but now let's Let's go where the rubber meets the road to our own prayer life and ask yourself an honest question. How often do I stop before I pray and say the thing about this prayer, if I want to pray in Jesus name, is that the father is to be glorified in the son. And that ought to be the only thing on my mind. 
Ooh, I'll be honest with you. You would hope I'll be honest with you, especially when I'm preaching the word of God. That often is not the first thing I think about. Honestly, I go to my prayer list, you know, and I pray for people. It's only upon reflection, right, that I come to the idea that what I should be praying for for these people is ultimately that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And it ought to also drive us to start to ask for things that we may not have asked for before, not because we want them, not because we'll be happy, which we will be. He does say later on that I want you to do things so that my joy may be in you. Okay, but we need to start thinking about I'm going to ask for things that that will be that when they if when they are granted will glorify the father. I've said this many times before, and it's true. When you do that, when you ask for something and you know it's in the will of God and it's what Jesus, you know, has asked us to pray for, you start to have a pretty good batting average in having your prayers answered. It's not a miracle. It's not because you're special. It's simply that you've come to understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to ask for something that will glorify the Father in the Son. And that gives us the key test as to whether or not a prayer is actually is actually in Jesus' name. And the test is, if this prayer is answered, will the Father be glorified in the Son? I hope that one question starts to revolutionize your prayer life. All right? Start, start doing that. Now, I'm not saying to totally change your prayer list, but what I am saying is start to put it in the right place. Will the Father be glorified in the Son if he answers this prayer? So we're making progress in answering the question, what does it mean to ask for something in Jesus' name? It means to ask for something that will glorify the Father in the Son. So far, so good. But then the question comes next. How do we know what prayers will accomplish this? So we have the principle, right? Pray for things that glorify the Father in Jesus' name. But now we have to take the next step, right? Well, what prayers will accomplish this, right? In order to do that, we need to continue diving deeper into what Jesus means by in my name. Having looked at him as the precedent and asking for things in his Father's name, and I having done some work to understand the Greek language and what the word means there, I'm now going to give you three things that tell you what it what he what this means, the expression in my name. First of all, it means, and this is the central thing, it means having Jesus' approval and endorsement. And that's quite a statement to make, isn't it? Have have you have you ever thought and said before you prayed? Does G, do, do I have Jesus' approval? <laughs> do I have his endorsement? Now, don't get me wrong. You can ask for things and without having focused on this. But if you, if, you true, if you really want to ask for something in Jesus' name, it has to have his approval and endorsement. That's what the Greek word means, first of all. To have the approval and the endorsement of the one you're speaking on behalf of, really. If you're speaking in Jesus' name, it means you're speaking on behalf of him. And that means that that in order to really authentically be asking for something in Jesus' name, you have to know that it has his approval 
and his endorsement. That's a challenge. That ought to make you, you know, we talk about the fear of the Lord. That ought to make you have that in the sense of saying, you know, I can't just go willy-nilly using his name. I have to, if, I, if, I, if I'm doing it, like truthfully, I have to know that it has his approval and his endorsement. And that is a really challenging place to get to. That's why this is not just a formula. It's not some magic incantation. It's something else. Having Jesus' approval and endorsement. Secondly, operating under the authority of Jesus. The prayer, the only prayer I can ask in Jesus' name is when I operate under the authority of Jesus in, in, in terms of recognizing that I am a member of the body and that he's the head, he's in charge. What I'm asking for is under his authority, not my own desires, not my will. So having his approval and endorsement, operating under the authority of Jesus, and then third, and this really crystallizes it, being of one mind with the Lord concerning this request. When you, when you look at it that way, I hope I hope what we can start to do is move into some specifics, particularly in the scriptures, particularly in the letters of Paul. Right. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to talk about his humility. Right. Even though he was God, he didn't claim all the all the all the privileges of God, but instead humbled himself. Being a one mind with the Lord concerning the request. We have the mind of Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean? I want you to think about it, right? We've studied First Corinthians. We have the mind of Christ and what it meant when we look through that. All right, then, then how do we get it? It's available. How do we get the mind of Christ? I want you to just think about that. Well, these three definitions, and let me go through them one more time. Having Jesus' approval and endorsement. Okay. Operating under the authority of Jesus and being of one mind with the Lord concerning this request. What does it tell us? What does it mean? What does it tell us about asking for things in Jesus' name? It tells us this. You cannot ask for anything in Jesus' name until you've come to know him. Does that make sense? Okay. How are you going to be of one mind with somebody if you don't even know how he thinks? You can't. How can you say, I am operating under the authority of Jesus if you don't know much about Jesus is? How can you say you have Jesus' approval and endorsement if you barely know him? You can't. The principle is you can't ask for anything in Jesus' name until you come to know him. Until you come to know him. Paul came to realize the central importance of this coming to know him. I'd like you to turn to Philippians now. Chapter three, verse eight. Philippians chapter three, verse eight. And again, why are we looking at this? We're looking at this so that we can come to respect and honor and be a little in awe of what it means to pray in Jesus' name, being of one mind with him, operating under his authority, having his approval and endorsement. You cannot do that until you've come to know the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. 
Paul is writing this, you know, and he's writing this towards the end of his ministry, by the way. Philippians is one of the prison epistles. Okay, so he's Paul's gone. He's had his his, uh, missionary trips, all but the last one under his belt. He's been he's been imprisoned in Rome. This is not this is not when he was first um, redeemed. Right. After some years had passed, but still notice what he says. Notice the understanding he's come to. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of what? The surpassing value of one thing, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you see how asking for something in Jesus' name is really the opposite of things that we put value on in and of ourselves, right? He says, I count that as nothing in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How did he get there? What did he come to understand? For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. In other words, if you want to ask for something in Jesus' name, you have to be single-minded about him. You can't, as it were, pollute or put in there, mix, right, your own desires with knowing Jesus, right? You have to be willing to put all of that aside, okay? I count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Remember, we ask that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's based on our position in Christ that I may be found in him, what? Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. By the way, that's the, that is the gospel. That is the means by which we are saved. Right. I am justified by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. He comes right back to that in his maturity and his understanding that the only thing I want to know is Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he still wants to know more about him. See, that's the key now. That is the key of understanding how our prayers can more and more and more authentically, effectively be asked in Jesus name that I may know him, that I may gain him, that I may count everything else's rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the Lord. Nothing to do with, that's why it's got nothing to do with who you've been, how good you've been, how many things you've done that you think presumably God approves of. That is not the basis for having prayer answered. It's not the basis for you having being able to go to the Father and ask for things in his name, quite the opposite. It, you go right back to the fact that nothing good dwelt in me, that my righteousness is not based on anything I do, but simply through faith. And it's when we just do something on the basis of faith in Christ, it is what Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's another purifying thing. Right. It's based on faith in Christ. And that means that the righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. That is all a prelude to the central passage I want us to look at this morning. Verses 10 and 11. That I may come to know him. Still, he's saying that. And what the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And when we do, we're bringing into remembrance the death of the Lord. 
And if we continue, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to come to a better and deeper understanding of what his death is really all about, that's what it means to become conformed to his death. It doesn't mean to die physically. It means having our mind, our thinking, our knowledge conformed to his death to understand why he died and what is that, what implications does that have for my life, for my prayer life. Verse 10 again. This is the key to be able to ask something effectively in Jesus' name, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, not the power of miracles, right? But of his resurrection, what that accomplished, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being willing to suffer on his behalf, understanding the purpose of suffering, okay? Which that is a whole subject. I've taught about it in the past. We're not going to be able to go into that this morning being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection, the life, the knowledge, the resurrection from the dead. So how do we know that what we're asking is is going to be of one mind with Christ under his authority? You know, it's really simple. When we come to know Christ, we'll know what to ask for in Jesus name. And it won't be magic. It won't be him whispering in our ear. It will be because we've come to know his mind, come to know what it meant for him to die on our behalf, come to know what the power of his resurrection is, coming to know how he thinks. And that's through the scriptures. That's through the scriptures combined with the mentorship of who? The Holy Spirit, which was why it was only after Jesus reveals that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to them that he understands that now they are ready to be able to ask for things in my name because the Holy Spirit will mentor them and teach them. Now, in this regard of asking for things in Jesus' name, the apostles were a special and unique class. See, see, in verse 12, when talking about the greater works, it says whoever has faith in Christ. That's all believers. But in verse 13, he says, now I'm talking to you. Right. And first and foremost, he was talking to his apostles. They were a special class. They were a unique class. They were the ones that asked for miraculous things. Right. After Peter preached on Pentecost, he then healed people miraculously. And he even said, I'm doing this in Jesus name. They're a special class. You can see more of that in the book of Acts. But even here, we have to understand the purpose. These miraculous things, when they were asking for them in Jesus' name, they serve one great purpose. Any guess what that purpose is? Glorifying the Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Right? And, of course, these miracles were by no means the, the only things that the apostles asked for in Jesus' name. But they all, what they all shared was the purpose. And in their calling, as well as ours... Here is how we glorify the Father. We preach the gospel. We preach the good news about Jesus Christ to all men and women. What does that say about our prayer life? If we want to, I hate to put it this way, but it's what comes to mind being a sports fanatic. But if we want to have prayers in Jesus' name, really, if we wanted that prayer to be effective, one great way is to pray about this. So when we when we when we pray, we do take some time to think about and we do this and we pray on Thursdays, unbelievers, that they may come to have an effective presentation of the gospel. 
that we may pray for one another, that we would have opportunities, that a door would be open for us. If I could put it this way, those prayers are almost irresistible to God. Why? Because they line up so perfectly with the mission he has given. Not the only one, right? Another mission we see this in verse 15, of course, is to love one another. And there again, when we're praying for something that is sacrificial in nature on our behalf, that we're asking for the ability to do something in love that naturally we're just not able to do. I'll give you a good one. Forgiveness. <laughs> when, we're, when we're praying that again, we're going to have a pretty good batting average. Why? Because it gives glory to the Father and it lines up with the mission that Jesus has given us to do. Why is it that preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful to glorify the Father? And it's really simple. I've already mentioned it. God is glorified by showering his grace on the undeserving. That's his glory. Moses learned it. My glory is that I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And what is the gospel all about? Preaching the fact that God has had mercy and is given grace for the hopeless, the unbelieving, the godless. That's where God is glorified. That's why asking for the asking for more, more impact, more capability, more resources to preach the good news glorifies the father. And here's the gospel, one way of looking at it. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Talks about the glory of God. Talks about the fact that everybody falls short. Talks about the key to understanding how we're justified. Yes, we look at it on our side and it's by faith. But how about looking at it from God's side? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. In other words, every unbeliever out there falls short of the glory of God. What is the, what is the purpose of praying in Jesus' name? That God may be glorified. How is God glorified? Well, when somebody who's fallen short of his glory now becomes redeemed. Okay, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, declared righteous by God as a gift by his grace, as a gift by his grace. God is glorified because he acts graciously, freely on the basis of what? Through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a perfect passage to talk about how God the Father is glorified in the Son. We always have to remember that. We have to remember as well as thinking that a prayer will glorify God, that is done in, in not just the name of the Son, but in the person of the Son, right? How is that? By his work, by his work on the cross primarily and his resurrection, right? When an unbeliever believes in Christ and is justified, justification by faith, meaning simply that they are declared righteous by God, it is a gift from the grace of God. And it's all based on the cross, the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, which is in Christ Jesus, being purchased, being moved from death to life. So very simply, to pray for the ability to spread, the ability now to spread the gospel message, 
is also to pray in Jesus' name. It's that simple. If you want to know what kind of prayers are prayers that are going to glorify the Father, well, here's a powerful one. Pray for the ability to spread the gospel message. That's one of the things it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now, of course, the provision that is needed to spread the gospel message will vary according to the situation. For example, when we support missionary activity, we're sort of giving a general prayer because we don't know often the specific obstacles that they're going to face. We hope that the resources that we provide, by the grace of God, we should always pray for that. Pray that we may be able to reach more people with the gospel, not only directly, but also through the financial support we give to people who are doing that in places where there's tons and tons of unbelievers. So the means may differ. In the first generation, the means sometimes that the apostles needed was a miracle. But that's not what we're, sit, what we're here today to ask for. Well, it may, look, he's free to do it, to perform miracles. But our prayer ought to be that, the, that this, what we're asking for, would enhance the ability to spread the gospel message. And, of course, in the book of Acts, there were a few instances when the apostles asked for miracles. But in the epistles, see, we take our precedent now from Paul's epistles. How are we to live? How are we to pray? Well, the apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to the church. So we turn to him and we see that he also asks for some unique provision. But in his case, he asked for spiritual provisions primarily. He did ask for financial resources, but not for himself. He always, if you look at uh, the asking for Picking an offering, when Paul took an offering, it was always on behalf of some other group, like the saints in Jerusalem. But he also asked for himself, and he asked for the church, and he asked the church to pray for him also for unique spiritual provision. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Here's a great example. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Well, there you go, right? Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in it. Well, when you keep alert in it, now you have the ability to think through, is this operating under the authority of Jesus, for example? Have an attitude of thanksgiving. Why? Grace, right? Honoring the grace of God. Verse 3, though, here's what I want you to see. Paul says, praying at the same time for us, the apostles, as well. What's the prayer that he's asking the people, the church of Colossae, to, to pray for, to ask for in Jesus' name? It's right here. That God will open up to us a door for the word. See, that's a powerful prayer. That's, that's a prayer in Jesus' name that is very, it's going to be effective. It's going to be answered in some way. Pray that God opens us up a door for the word, the gospel, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, which, which I have also been imprisoned. And notice the prayer. What's the provision? I want you to notice this. It's not a miracle. Verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. That's praying for somebody in Jesus' name. I pray that the next time that you're able to witness to somebody, that you may speak clearly and accurately. That's a prayer in Jesus' name. And the principle is always the same, and it's the same for us as well. Again, I want to say it 
again, because I want you to, this is the key thing I want you to grasp and take away this morning. A person cannot effectively, effectively, you can say in Jesus' name, but in order for that to be an effective prayer, you can't do it. You can pray. But if you're going to pray in Jesus' name, you cannot effectively ask for anything in Jesus' name until you've come to know Jesus well enough, okay? not perfectly, but well enough to know that this particular prayer Jesus endorses. All right. So you come to know things about him. And we saw one this morning. We, saw, we come to know to understand that we've been called by Jesus to preach the gospel and to love one another. And once you know that, you've come to, well him, to know him well enough so that you can ask things according to that, the spread of the gospel, helping us to love one another, such that we know he endorses the request. We've been, for example, we're going to be there, we've already been there, in the Gospel of John, where he says, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another. Once we know that, we also know that prayers that line up with that desire, he endorses. See, this isn't magic, right? But it, but it is specific, it is clear, and we need to um, conform our thinking to this. All right. Well, on that night in the upper room, the apostles received their endorsement from the Lord that they had, in fact, come to know him in some measure, in some measure, because in the ensuing days and months and years, they would come to know him better. In the upper room that night, however, was their commencement. Now, we talk about commencements as being the end of something, the end of my education. But the very word means, no, actually, it's the beginning. Um, something is commencing. Look at John chapter 16, verse 23. He's just in chapters 15 and 16 and 14. He talks about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. And he's saying that they will receive the Holy Spirit. And so now the basis of that, as well as even what he's taught them directly in the upper room that night, he realizes now that they have come to know him to some extent. And notice what he says in their future, what's going to happen. Verse 23 of chapter 16. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask for the Father... And for anything, ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Why? Because they've come to know him. Because they're going to they come to know him better and better by means of the of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. That doesn't mean that they've never prayed. It means that they hadn't understood yet what it meant to ask for something in Jesus name. But now they, they start to understand that. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive so that your joy may be made full. And they would come to know him better, not by performing miracles, but by three things. I can only give them to you this morning. We're going to see this as we move forward in the gospel. They come to know him better, first of all, by continuing in his word that's the primary, the first thing. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Secondly, by learning the truth from the Holy Spirit. They come to know him better by learning the truth from the Holy Spirit, which is why believers now 
can ask in Jesus' name. Why? Because we can learn the truth from the Holy Spirit. God is mentoring us in the, in the person of the Spirit, continuing in his word, learning the truth from the Holy Spirit, and perhaps most importantly, and we, we'd like to leave this one out, but we can't, by doing what Jesus commanded them to do. If you want to ask for things in Jesus' name, here's what you are called to do. Let me go through this one more time. Continue in his word, like we do when we gather together, and then learn the truth and understanding that it's the Holy Spirit that will make these things plain to you. And then third, by doing what he says, by doing what Jesus commands them to do. When you do that, you come to know him better. You see, when you carry out the wishes of somebody, that very act helps you to know that person better because you start to say, well, he told me to do this. I'm obedient, but now I get it. I know why he asked me to do that. And it's, that's the key to, to asking for things in his name. I know why he asked to do that. All right, we don't have time. In the interest of time, I just want to mention that Jesus calls this a life of abiding. And we're going to see that in chapter 15. Just plant that, that word abiding, because we're going to come back to that. And he's going to talk about two things. I'm going to give you the two things, although we don't have time to look at the passage. He's talking about two things, abiding in his love and his word abiding in them. You see, if we abide in his love, we do what he has to say. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his word abiding in them. That's how you ask for something in Jesus' name. This is a revolution. I may come back to this next week because I have more things to say. Because we really do need to turn to Paul again. But in, in the interest of time this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here this morning. Okay, we're going to finish things up next week when we turn to Paul's letters, because that's where we get our precedent from. But at this time, let's now close in prayer and prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift of grace of allowing us to be saved on the basis of faith in your son on giving us the tremendous gifts that you've given us, the enablement, the enablement to understand the power of their son's resurrection. And most importantly, the, the mentorship from the Holy Spirit to teach us and also to guide us into doing the things that Jesus commanded us to do. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Father, let us keep that foremost in mind. Now we need to come to know your son better. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, this time let us prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I, um, there are some people that have asked me to do this, so I do do this on Saturday evenings when I'm done preparing the message and the slides. I place them in something called Dropbox, and I provide a link to people who are interested. If you're interested, let me know. It's a simple matter of adding you to an email list.
Okay. The reason I mentioned it this morning, though, is because last night I told those people that we would be celebrating the Lord's Supper next Sunday. So um, forgive me, those of you that would like to be prepared with the elements, and I didn't give you an opportunity to. Um, with that in mind, this morning we were in Philippians chapter 3, looking at what it means to come to know Jesus. And we came upon verse 10, where, he's, where Paul writes that I may come to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And that is exactly what we ought to do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's really, that's it, okay? That we may understand him better, that we may understand the power of his resurrection, and most focus on this at the Lord's Supper, the fellowship of his sufferings, why he suffered, and how we follow in his footsteps, being conformed to his death, understanding more, about the, about the significance of his death, about what it means not only for the unbeliever, but most importantly now, because we're gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ, what his death means to us now. All right, so first in 1 Corinthians 15, we read the, that the, the gospel of, that Paul preached, trying to deliver to you as of first importance, when I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And in verse in chapter 11, verse 23, he also writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, in light of understanding better, prayer for us, in, in light of understanding a little bit more about who your son is, wanting to know more and more about what it means to be made conformable to his death. We want to just thank you for allowing us to celebrate the Lord's Supper again. And we would ask that the, our great comforter and, and, and the great explainer, the great help of the Holy Spirit would help us this morning and just spending some time considering the death of your son and, and how it is that we can go from here with, with a better understanding, being better equipped to pray in your son's name, that it may give glory to you in, in him. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.